85, Psalm 85, and uh, Bobby and Joy, uh, I want to tell you both and all of our musicians and worship leaders how much I appreciate you. They do a great job, don't they? Week in, week out, and what you don't see, amen, and what you, what you don't see probably, unless you're in that ministry, is just untold hours of practice and then preparation uh, the instrumentalists have to pra practice together, all of the different, uh, the singers, the groups, they work with our children's ministry, with just about any ministry that needs uh, music in whatever capacity. Bobby and Joy are there, and the rest of our worship department is there to really knock it out, and I'm very thankful for you. I appreciate it very much. Now, you're opening up your Bible to Psalm 85. I know it'll take you just a moment to get there. And while you're turning there, let me tell you about something that's going to happen in the morning. One of the things that our church really, really values is children's ministry, because we believe that children are the future of the church. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, we have a responsibility to win children to Jesus Christ. Probably the largest um, or the biggest and possibly the largest effort that we'll put on during the course of a year is Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School is not just a fun time to come and draw pictures and do things like that and have great games and fun snacks, good tasting snacks, although all those things are a part of it. It's very intentionally designed to help you as parents lead your children to Jesus. And so we have a great VBS parade. We're going to go out in the Coolwood community tomorrow morning on July the 4th. You can arrive at 8 a.m. if you're in the parade or at, <coughs> excuse me, at 9 a.m., if you're going to watch it, I think I'm pretty close to that. And uh, we are going to uh, be in a little part of that community parade to just give out invitations to go uh, and, and come to VBS. It's a great way to get involved. And uh, <clears throat> thank you for those of you who brought candy, because we kind of throw candy to the kids, not at the kids, <laughs> de depending on how they act. But anyway... Uh, yeah, so it's going to be a good time, and I wanted to invite you to do that also. All right, you're in Psalm 85. <clears throat> Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. You've turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O oh God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord. Grant us your salvation. I will hear what the Lord God will speak. For he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth. I love these verses. 
mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth. Righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And our land will yield increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. You know, for the follower of Jesus Christ, the person who says, Jesus is Lord, our first loyalty always, always has to be to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? He has our utmost trust, our utmost devotion and fellowship, absolutely and totally. And I want to remind you this morning that Jesus not only wants first place in your life. He doesn't, in fact, he doesn't want to be first place in your life. He wants to be your life. Do you get it? <clears throat> if you're a believer, he deserves not only to have first place in your life, but to be first in your life before anything and anyone at all. Now, I'm going to speak openly just because it's us here, okay? If there's anybody but us here, let me know. <laughs> Since coming to Calvary, I've noticed that this is an incredibly patriotic church. And I'm glad for that. Now, I know your love for Jesus. I do. I've seen it. I've felt it. Your actions, your, your love for him, your... I've seen it in your care for me and for other folks and the way people have. I've seen people give out of what they didn't even have to help others. I've seen it in your giving. I've heard it in your prayers. This is a praying church, and I'm grateful for that. And uh, I, I know your love for Jesus. And yet for me, now just for me, sometimes to be honest, I, I probably struggle like some of you do. I'm a patriot. I would fight and die for this country, but I, but I struggle, here's why, because as a follower of Jesus, I see the direction in which this nation has been headed for quite some time, and I struggle. Now, let me be specific. I struggle with the unthinkably, and I'm trying not to seem mean or mad at all, I'm not, but it, but it, is, it is perplexing to me. I, I struggle with the unthinkably ridiculous, as I say, I'm trying not to be mean, stupid, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say that word from pulpit, some of you trying not to keep your kids through that, yeah, it's because you don't have any little babies to raise Wade, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but really wicked, wicked, ungodly decisions and positions of our leaders and, and our people, not just the leaders, but the people too, I, I'm amazed at the treatment of the poor of the lack of defending those who can't defend themselves, i.e. unborn children in the womb. Uh, and here's another thing that blows me away about us. Uh, sometimes when I just I struggle with this because I see like, it's just amazing to me how no matter what you make, how much or how little, there's always somebody looking to take your money like in a dishonest way or something. You know what I mean? Like, I just see people preying on the poor. I come to the poor side of town and you see, you know, signs up saying, come here, we'll buy your blood. Bring me your car title. 
I'll loan you money at 30% interest. If you don't pay it back, I'll take your car. And it's just a lot of lying and thievery now that, that, that just exists. Like, like it, it's just weird now. It's weird now to see somebody do something right just because it's right. Whereas it used to be when I was a kid, at least around my neck of the woods, like people just almost wouldn't do something wrong even if they didn't know you because they would say, because no, because that's what? It's wrong. And on one level, like, like I mean this, and I'm just being honest, I'm just pouring out my heart. I hope you can hear me. I, I honestly wonder how long we can continue to sing God bless America with any belief that God will actually do so. Now, I want to say, first of all, I'm, the probably <laughs> I'm as big a sinner as anybody in this nation, so I am not throwing stones. Do you understand that? I mean, I'm, I'm admitting that I am part of the problem. But there is a real problem, and, and I just struggle with that. And it seems like holidays like this really make me struggle with it. Because on one hand, man, I love the Lord who saved my soul with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And yet I'm very, very incredibly grateful and thankful for this nation that we have. And it sickens me to see it just going down the tubes. It just sickens me. And so I, yet I want to sing songs and say, thank God for America uh, but I, what I want to try to do with you this morning, I, I was really struggling with this. And I said, Lord, Lord, as a pastor, i got to lead my sheep. How can I get through this? And how can I help them to be biblically correct and be biblically correct myself? I want to kind of try to reconcile those two, i.e. following Jesus, really following Jesus, and, and being grateful for our country and the liberties that we have. And out the, at the outset, let me just say this. I don't really care a hill of beans about what is politically correct. On either side, I believe that which we should be most concerned about is being biblically correct. And that which we should be most concerned about is not what makes us feel good. And that's part of what is wrong with our nation, Christians, all of us alike. We want to feel good. We want to do what makes us happy. I'm not so worried about that. What I'm worried about when I, when I come, I, I, I had a lady one time come to me uh, trying to raise a child, and I'd made a statement that was directly in line with Scripture, directly in line with what God says to be true. The creator of this universe says it, and it wasn't mean-spirited at all, but she came up to me and she said, I really have liked church until this point until you said what you said this morning. And she said, uh, no, this was not here, but she said, but I'm not going to come here because I don't want my daughter to be raised in a place that would believe that. That's not what I believe. And I very lovingly tried to talk with her and just convince her that, that what is important is sometimes is not just what we believe. Like not to find a God or a religion that believes like I believe. It's to find someone in a church that's being true. What is truth? What is actually reality? When we stand before God, we're going to find out that He wasn't made in our image. And so 
that's what I'm seeking after is, is, a tru- is truth. At its core, what God says is true, what God says is reality. And so the last thing that concerns me is what any Democrat thinks or what any Republican thinks or an independent has to say about things. It's what God says about things that should be first and foremost in our hearts and minds. And I remembered about God's people, the nation of Israel, how they, like our nation, were incredibly blessed, amazingly blessed, and then how God dealt with them. Incidentally, if God would raise up another nation to come in and conquer his people Israel, and he did, to bring them back to himself, Don't you just think it's possible that if God would do that to Israel, he would do it to us? In Psalm 85, we're reminded of the greatest need we have in America. And I don't use the word greatest lightly, but intentionally and with purpose. As a nation, we have a lot of needs. I mean, oh, there's so many needs. But listen, there's none greater than the subject of the psalm that is before us. Our greatest need is, without a doubt, for America... And I want to be careful. I don't want to say, I want you to hear the distinctiveness and the, the words that I'm choosing very well, uh, very carefully in my speech today. I'm not trying to get America back to a point of godliness because, frankly, I'm not sure we've ever been where we need to be. I mean, I think if we had been African-American probably 200 years ago or maybe even today, but especially 200 years ago when slavery was in full force, we would have a hard time seeing America as a Christian nation if our children were born and then taken out of the room from us and then sold into slavery. I really, really think that, that we would have a hard time saying, wow, thank God for this. I mean, that would be hard, right? That would be difficult. That would be unbelievable. And so I'm not trying to return to anywhere in the past, except I'm trying to return to the truth of the word of God. And so we'll look at this psalm as it deals with God's people, the nation of Israel, and his responses to them. And then what we can do is from that, we can apply them to our need as a nation. And I believe it'll help us. And we're going to find out some things that'll really help us to celebrate the 4th of July properly and also to celebrate our Savior and love on him and put him first always. So in Psalm number 85, we, re- we read those words. I want you to look at it because the first thing that we're going to see in verse 1, I believe it is right to express gratitude for America. I really do. In verse 1, the psalmist says what? Lord, you have been favorable to your land. Now, the psalmist is talking about the nation of Israel, and he's talking about the blessings that the people of the land of Israel had enjoyed right because of God's blessing on those people. And what he's doing is he's elevating, he's he's lifting his gaze. Lord, he's lifted his gaze and he's to heaven, and he lifts up his heart and his voice, and he's expressing gratitude. Lord, you have blessed us. Lord, you have taken care of us. And surely Israel was blessed. Surely Israel was blessed. Amongst all the nations around them, surely Israel was incredibly blessed. And I believe in the same way, if there's a people on the face of the earth today that ought to be grateful for the blessing of God and the hand of God on any piece of land, it ought to be us. As Americans, 
We ought to really, literally count our blessings every day and be thankful. And I tried to word this carefully. For what? Being born, simply being born in this nation affords us. With all of its problems, with all of its challenges, it's still a blessing to be born in the United States of America. I mean, we have been privileged to be born and live here, and we could have been born anywhere in the world. And so the first thing that we ought to give gratitude to God for for America is this, the great abundance of blessings that we enjoy. Because we don't just have one blessing or two blessings. We ought to be grateful for the abundance, the super-flowing overabundance of blessings that we have. We ought to be grateful, and I tried to boil this down and, and be, no pun intended, but, but, but we ought to be thankful that we live in a country where you can drink clean water. I know I go all over the world, and I've spent time and trip and time again in India, and believers and non-believers alike there, you just can't walk up and drink the water. We got off of the airliner in the off the jet in the in the newest most modern part of the airport in New Delhi India the last time I was there time before last and we had told everybody I told them 20 times don't drink the water you got to drink bottled water you got to be careful with that you need to wipe once you crack the top off make sure the seal hadn't been broken and it's been refilled crack the top off and wipe it off with an antiseptic thing and pour it in your mouth you ever try to do that in the back of a bumpy truck or a bus yeah you just pour it in your mouth and you learn to do it the Indians can all do it. They can pour it and drink at the same time. It's crazy. I about drowned myself, you know, trying that. I really did. And so got a great friend named Steve Perry, and uh, Barry McNulty was coming down through there, and we we're all going down. I'm cutting right off the plane, just got off the plane. We're going down the hallway in the airport, and Barry, he's a big old loud, gregarious guy. He comes laughing, and he's going so loud, and the whole airport's looking, and he's grabbing me and following me, saying, you're not going to believe what he just did. You're not going to believe what Steve just did. Steve's this real mild-mannered, quiet guy. And I said, what, what? I said, we just got off the plane. He said, <clears throat> yeah, I'm walking up down the, down the, uh, you know, the airport. And he says, I look at him, he's drinking out of a water fountain. I says, you're kidding me. I just told him that you can't do that. I just told you guys. He says, I know, I know. And he says, here's what's so funny. He looked like I was catching him stealing something. When I said, Steve, what are you doing? He said, he jumped and he spat it out. <laughs> he said, I didn't swallow it. I didn't swallow it. <clears throat> <coughs> Sounded like Bill Clinton saying, I didn't inhale. Which I always wondered about if you didn't have sense enough to inhale a little weed. How did you have sense enough to be the president of the United States? But anyway, it's a whole other subject. But anyway... He said, I didn't swallow it, Pastor. I said, we'll find out. <laughs> 24 hours later, brother, we found out it wasn't pretty. Somebody comes down to the lobby of the motel, the motel owners. Sir, you must, you must come and help your friend. I said, what's the matter? He's like, he's on the thing. He is like, mm, he's running everybody off the floor. <laughs> and he had. Thankful that you can take a tap. 
thankful that you can put a glass of water, drink with it, cook with it, and not everybody in the family gets dysentery. We should be thankful for that. The average lifespan there is 42 years of age. We should be thankful for good food. I mean, we have a super abundance of food in America. I know people go hungry here, but we really do have a lot of food. We, we can go to restaurants, and we can get things that we want. We can order all kinds of stuff. I shall never forget after we'd been there a few days and all the street kids that are homeless. Look at me. <coughs> 30 million children homeless in the streets. 30 million more people than live in the state of North Carolina, little kids. Imagine your grandkids, your children, sleeping on the streets. We finally sat down. I've been trying not to eat everything. People there are so gracious. They offer you something every house you go into. Please, please, please. I'm like, no, you know, I'm American, weak stomach, you know. I was not going to get sick. But you know what really sickened me? We got to a five-star restaurant where they have hygiene and you can eat and, and you sit down and, and you get your meal and it's so awesome. Standing right beside of you looking through the glass. Our little kids dressed in rags going, knocking on the glass. And the waiter comes over and pulls down the shade and says, don't let them bother you. Enjoy your meal. As if I could. It's heartbreaking. I can see them now. We should be thankful for the food that we have and our children have in this great country. It's good to be grateful for that. It's good to express gratitude for that. We should be grateful for the freedom to worship. That we can come here today and we can still go out. I could go down on the street corner or wherever and preach and we could assemble in a field or out on a corner and sing songs of praise without someone literally coming in arresting us all and chopping our heads off and crucifying us publicly. That's happening to Christians right now all over the world. We should be grateful for medicine and good health care. At an orphanage in Ripra, I got a message back about a child that was sick. They said the child died from something that could have been treated with mild antibiotics. Brother Carlos went with me on that trip. When I got back, I got this message that a child that we had seen had died from a simple kidney infection because they couldn't get him to the hospital in time. They put him in a wheelbarrow to roll him, and he didn't make it. We should be thankful. As many problems as we have and as much as we have to pay for prescriptions, at least we can get them. Most of us can. We should be thankful and express gratitude for the freedom to travel as we wish. Everywhere we went in that country, we had to bribe policemen. <laughs> About the same as it is here, but no, I'm just kidding. No, it's terrible. It's, it's not even close. It's, it's not even close. Everywhere we went, stop. What do you have? Where are you going? Well, you're not going anywhere. Give me that. 
That's what the cops did to us all the time. I mean, <clears throat> thankful for freedom just to go out and walk around and do what we want to do. You heard about the little boy, didn't you, in nursery school? i got to lighten up a minute. Fourth of July weekend was coming, and a teacher took the opportunity to tell her class about patriotism, and she said, we live in a great country, don't we? She said, one of the things that we ought to be happy about is that in this country, we're all free. We're all free. And one little boy came walking up to her from the back, and he said, I'm not free. I'm four. But I am grateful. I am very grateful for all the freedoms and the abundance of blessings that the United States affords us. Amen. Amen. Let me say it again. There are no people on the face of this earth that ought to be more grateful and ought to express gratitude than those of us who are Americans. We're a nation that has been so richly blessed and a people that enjoy numerous blessings as Americans just by being born in America. But the psalmist was... Not only thankful to God and grateful to God for the blessings that was Israel. Lord, you've been favorable to your land. Notice what also he, <coughs> not only for an abundance of blessings, we must also express gratitude for the true source of blessings. Now, I always want us to do that. <coughs> to remember where America's blessings come from. The true source of the blessings. Six times in verses 1 through 3. You find the words, you have, you have, you have, six times. And what he's doing is he is reminding the people of Israel, because these were songs written to the nation of Israel to sing and draw their hearts back to the Lord. He is speaking of how good God had been to that nation. And all that God had done for them and what he had given them. And he's reminding people of the true source of Israel's blessings. Now, when we think about America this weekend, you'd be certain, you'd be certain to mark it down and express gratitude for the source of America's blessings. I mean, I think of America, I think of a nation that has indeed been blessed of God. It's no accident that we're a blessed nation. It's no accident that we have all the natural resources that we have. I've traveled this nation a bit. It's no, it's no accident that we have clean water and good food and, and fair laws and gold grain for miles and miles and miles and corn in Nebraska farther than you can see. We were driving through Nebraska one time. I got so tired of looking at cornfields. It's unbelievable. You never been to Nebraska? You never seen a cornfield? Trust me. We were riding out there to go to a biker rally out in uh, Sturgis, and <clears throat> I was getting it on down the road and getting it and just getting it and just getting it, and there's not a turn, and it's just like kabap, 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 kabap. And you got corn on both sides, and my wife looks over at me and says, "I think you just ran right through a stoplight." I said, "You're kidding me," and I did. I just blew right through it, you know, at 75 miles an hour, just. Just get in a zone. You know, corn. I said, Do people live here? Yes, they do. They grow corn. And I'm glad they do. I'm glad they do. There's some lands that don't have that natural resource. Enough corn to feed and grain across the Midwest and all the blessings that we have in this country. That's, that's no accident. 
Oh, I love to drive down through Texas and New Mexico, although it stinks and sometimes with the, it's not because of the Texans, it's because of the cattle. <laughs> but loads and lots of beef. That's no accident at all. Some places you can't go and get that. God's good hand has been upon us. Now God's good hand is on this nation. I'm telling you though, listen to me. It's not because of us. God didn't look down and say, boy, that's a good bunch of people and they love me and they're keeping my rules so I'm going to bless them. No, 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 no. We always need to remember America's blessed because of God's unmerited favor. Amen. We as Americans can indeed say, can't we, over this 4th of July weekend, Lord, thank you for our freedom. We can indeed say, Lord, you have been favorable to our land. How grateful. Maybe that's what burns on me and grates on me when I see everybody in our nation saying, oh yeah, you can't talk about God. Oh, you can't talk about Jesus. Yeah, keep that up and see what happens. Let's keep ourselves sufficient, self-righteous. We did it. We can do it. Attitude. We don't need God's help. Keep that attitude and let's see what happens. We'll see if we need America's help, uh, if we need God's help. Keep that up and, 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 and we'll see what happens. You know, I, people ask me all the time, do you think, you know, well, I'll get to it in a minute. But we need to be able to do that, don't we? To recognize the abundance of blessings and the source of those blessings. Second thing that we, this passage teaches us is it's right. It's also right. It's right to express gratitude, but it's also right to fear God's righteous judgment on America. It really is. As great as our nation may be, as blessed as our nation and we are as a people, there's a peril we face. And there really is, really is. I'm not being a doom and gloom guy. You know me, I'm over and over abundantly positive most of the time. But the peril I speak of is that God would take his blessings off of our nation. Now, as you look at Psalm 85, you'll see that tragedy occurred with the people of Israel. Notice how he describes the behavior and the sins of the people of I Israel, if you were to look. And I'm just going to move along for the sake of time in verse 2. Notice how he looks at the iniquity. You have forgiven the what? Iniquity of your people. See, we put the, we put the emphasis on, Lord, you've forgiven. That feels good, doesn't it? But we forget about the, the iniquity of his people. And look at all their sin, he says. You've covered all their sin. He, he's not only speaking of personal sins, but of national sin. See, as a nation, Israel got the same attitude. And they said, we don't need God. As a people, as a nation, they abandoned God and turned to false gods. They left him out of their personal lives. They left him out of their national lives. And very honestly, one of the reasons that we need to fear God's righteous judgment on America is let's own it, it's because of our great sins before this God who has blessed us so well. Our sins. I, I thought about this point intentionally and put, yes, not as, but listen, our great sins, it's ours as a people. The list of problems, I could list them forever and I'm not going to do it, but you know our greatest problem 
our national sin is that as a whole, it doesn't matter whether it's abortion or whether it's godlessness in government or whether it is racial prejudice or whether it, you just name it, thievery or lying or corrupt politicians. Here's our biggest national sin. It is that we are pushing God farther and farther away. When a nation sets its approval on things like adultery, both hetero and homosexual, And we know that that's in direct opposition to God's word and God's will. That's an indication that God and Judeo-value Christians no longer serve as a guide to our nation. And I tell you, we need to fear God's righteous judgment. And we need to fear it not only for the abundance of our sins and wickedness, but write this down. And I thought about this this morning, man, for the sorrow and the suffering, the human suffering that that attitude and our sins bring upon the nation. Psalm 85 really describes a suffering people. The people of Israel had suffered. And what is the source of their suffering? Look in verse 3 and take note. Now, you say, yeah, well, they were stealing from each other, and they were lying, and they were corrupt and going after false gods. Yeah, 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 they were. But look at verse 3. When you think about the source of their sorrow and suffering, you have taken away all your wrath. You have, ter- we have, you have turned from the fierceness of those other nations. Is that what it says? From our own mistakes. Is that what it says? Mm-mm. From what? Your anger. Your anger. I, I mean, in verse 5, you'll hear the people saying, Lord, are you going to be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? You know why they were suffering? As a result of the wrath of a holy and righteous God. God raised up an oppressive nation. God God caused the crops not to grow. God, listen, there's there's one verse in the Bible that ought to make every one of us tremble, and that's Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Billy Graham once said, If God doesn't soon judge America for her sins, He's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Unless something happens, America really is destined for judgment. I have people, this is what I was going to say earlier. People ask me all the time, Pastor, do you really think like, like it's like if a new disease comes out or if there's a terrorist shooting or whatever, they'll they'll ask me constantly, do you think God sent like that as a judgment? For America, for our sins, a judgment on America for our sins because we're allowing this or we're allowing that. And I always answer it the same. I always say, I don't know, but I'll tell you this. God doesn't have to send one thing to judge America. All God has to do is just withdraw his hand of protection. All God has to do, he doesn't have to send anything on America, my friend. All he has to do is just back off and we'll damn ourselves We'll curse ourselves. We'll lie and thieve and human na- And it's not just America. This is any human being. We are all corrupt inside. All of us. You hear me saying this. I didn't say all of you. I said we all of us are. This is the gospel that God created us with an incredible destiny. 
God loves you and God loves me and God loves us all, but we fell into sin. And it's not as though something little happened to us. It is as, it's not as though we just got dirty and we need a bath and come to church, get a little religion and wash it off. No, 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 no. It warped us. It changed us into people who will lie and the people who will steal and the people who will kill and people who will murder. People who will do anything. God loved us enough that he said, I'm not going to leave you in that state. I want my son to come and pay your penalty. And you can be born again because the first time you were born, it was really messed up and you need a new life and a new start. You can be redeemed. And that's what needs to happen. I mean, God, listen, God doesn't have to send anything on anything to us or on us to curse us he may but he didn't have to all he has to do is just just withdraw his hand of blessing his hand of protection and we're in deep 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 weeds so what is america's hope it's the same hope we've always had it's never changed what can save us from god's judgment well it's this i want you to think of what psalm 85 says the the restoration that we should all desire for salvation that only Jesus can give. It's right to seek that. It's right to seek the salvation. Mark down my words again are very intentional. That only Jesus Christ can give. That is not a slam on any other religion in the world. It is the truth that is in the word of God. It is the truth that Jesus spoke. And it is the truth to which God will hold us accountable. If you have a serious problem with that, you really need to sit down and let's talk. But at ultimately, you're going to have to take it up with Jesus. Because he's the one that said it. He said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's an exclusive statement, isn't it? And that's a statement that's either true, if that statement is true, then he is the only way, right? Because he said, I'm the way, didn't say I'm a way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So if that statement is true, then we've got to do some business with Jesus. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says, if that statement's true. If that statement is untrue, and he's not the only way, then Jesus isn't even a way because he was a liar himself. It's the law of non-contradiction and logic. And, and I'm telling you, truth doesn't contradict itself. And, and if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then we've got to do business with him. And if he's not the way, the truth, and the life, then we don't even need to consider him as a source because he lied. But you hear me and hear me well. If he said that, then we've got to deal with it. And that's why I don't take any hesitation whatsoever. In fact, that's what I do is tell people this is the truth. This is the way. That's what Christians do. We say, oh, I don't like to debate with other people about what, you know, whether they're right or we're right. Well, what, what else are you doing? I don't like to just debate with them, but somebody's got to tell folks the truth. And so the restoration that we should desire as Americans, the prayer of every Christian should be the prayer that's found in verse 6. Will you not revive us again? I mean, that's what America think. You, you just think about it, that your people may rejoice in you. you. You think about this. I thought about it this morning. What if, just what if, wouldn't it be a What do you think would happen in America 
If every person in America bowed their knee, humbled their heart, and prayed this prayer, Lord, just think if everybody in America said, Lord, will you revive us? What do you think would happen? Whew. Revival would sweep through this land. And sins of all sort and harming of all sort and prejudice of all sort would be, would be done away with. At least there'd be an attempt to do away with it. But the only hope for America is, is revival. Washington's not the answer. The Republicans and Democrats and independents don't have the answers. They really don't. You need to go vote because you live in a free country. But listen, only God has the answer. Only God has the answer. And that answer is found where it always has been in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Americans or whoever the heck you are that we surrender and bow the knee or wherever you're from and turn to Jesus Christ and obey the gospel and give your heart and life to Jesus and let him change you and take care of the problems that you have. And I'm telling you, then he'll help you. That's the only cure. So I want to challenge you in closing to pray for the salvation that only can Jesus can offer. You need to be praying, we do constantly, for revival on a national level. On a national level. That's what he does. He talks about our sins and your judgment on us as a land. And it can happen. I mean, God can move. I think sometimes we've lost the vision that God can move. The church in America has just become defeated. See that rock? I'm not going to throw it, I promise you. Just relax. See that rock? That rock, more than some of us, has witnessed a miracle. Somebody came by my office a while back and gave me that. Told me the story behind it. I want to share it with you. It's from a member of this church. It's Joanne Paget. I'll just share part of it. My grandpa, John Robert Dykus, was born in Colfax Township, Rutherford, in North Carolina. My grandpa Dykus was a well-respected man of the community and this was a farming community and families relied on their crops to supply food and clothing during the summers and through long, harsh winters. They grew acres of wheat to supply bread, cereal, cakes, and cookies and pies, also to feed chickens and hogs. The wheat flour was used to make starch for the men's white shirts for church, tablecloths, or curtains. The wheat straw was also used in huge bed ticks to sleep on for every member of the family. They got new straw ticks every summer when the wheat was harvested. Some of the wheat was used in stables for cows and horses to sleep on. Some of the wheat straw was used in the hen houses for nesting where the hens laid their eggs. And the reason I explained this was that the wheat crop was a very important crop for us to live. One spring day in early June, I don't know the year, fire broke out near our community on Cherry Mountain, which bordered the community where Grandpa lived. It was said that the fire probably started at a liquor still where moonshine was being made up on the mountain. It rained very little that spring and everything was really dry. The wheat fields were gold in color and almost ready for harvest and it looked like the entire community would burn from this raging fire. A lot of the fields were only divided by the farm line which could 
to be a shallow ditch or a fence, and there was not a cloud in the sky as the fire loomed closer. People panicked. The black and white smoke from the fire on the mountain could be seen for miles billowing toward the blue sky. The fire was getting closer to the wheat fields. It's said that my grandpa Dicus and a few other men, not knowing what else to do in a hopeless situation, went to grandpa's rock altar. On grandpa's farm, and grandpa began to pray to God to please spare their community from the fire. In just a few minutes, a very dark cloud gathered over the fire. It poured rain and put out the fire on that mountain. God had answered grandpa's prayer. She went back to that farm to the place where her grandfather and her dad, barefoot and in overalls, used to go and had laid a bunch of rocks and made it a place where he sought the heart, the mind, and the will of God Almighty and brought me a rock from it. And what I'm going to do with this rock is as this church grows and as this church becomes impacting for the kingdom of God, we're going to take this rock and many more like it and we're going to build us a prayer altar up on our new property. We're going to become a lighthouse for this community to see so the lost will know where to be saved so they will see that there are praying people who trust God who's still experiencing the fire-quenching power of God. That can save a nation. And that can save a community. And that, if we'll get on our knees and pray and trust him and repent of our sins and toward, turn towards him, will save us too. He's that kind of God. Amen? And we want to pray for revival on a national level. And we want to pray for revival on a personal level. On a personal level. I love verse 8. I had to split this point up into two because I didn't even see it. And then I read through it again early this morning. Look at verse 8. The psalmist personalizes this. Now it's not us. I will hear what the Lord says. Sometimes all it takes is one man, one woman, one child to say I will hear what the Lord says. I will be obedient to what the Lord says. And the destiny of nations and towns and communities and individuals can be changed. Let's pray. Lord, we need to seek you more. That's the honest truth, Lord. We're grateful for this country. Thank you for blessing this country. Thank you for allowing us to born, be born here. Thank you in spite of our complaining and the legitimate needs that we still have here. Thank you for all the things we do have. Thank you that you are the source of those blessings. Without a doubt, 
We owe every blessing to you. I pray, Lord, that we would turn to you. I pray that, Lord, you would use this church in a powerful way. Use us. Use me, Lord. Use me. Would you pray that with me too? Lord, use me as you see fit to see a community saved from the judgment of God. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you would, please.